This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. Shall we begin? Everybody and welcome to Popcorn Culture, kind of. It is supercut, but also only kind of. I'm Lee Trelin, and I'm joined by one host and one guest. So I've got in the studio with me Cam Raslan. I've also got Tony Pietra Arjuna, and we are doing the second episode of our A Bit of Culture supercut crossover, which we're calling A Bit of Popcorn Culture because I've been abandoned. Yeah, that's right. Because I have uh, taken over the studio. Uh, it's Cam Rusland here, by the way. I've taken under duress. Under duress, at gunpoint, and instead we're going to be doing this as uh, an episode of a bit of culture. Yeah, the uh, long-running and incredibly popular show here on very BFM. popular Cam, <laughs> <laughs> with with an audience in literally in the dozens per year. And um, we uh, uh, so this week's episode, we've got uh, three topics, and our three topics will be topic number one is musical biopics. Are they ever any good? Topic number two is AI and the future of cinema. How will that pan out? And finally, topic number three will be nostalgia in movies. The evergreen, ever popular, or is it? Mm. Uh, so we start off with topic number one, which is musical biopics. Now, so the musical biopic obviously is uh, a movie about um, a musician and the story of. It could be their entire life. It could be one aspect. And I, I, I watch quite a few, and they... With great expectations, and and I, I am invariably disappointed. I know I'll ask you, Lynn, a question straight away. You're a fan of Elvis. Yes. Did you watch the recent Baz Luhrmann Elvis movie? With great trepidation, I did. And did you like it? I did. Oh. Mm. But I have complicated thoughts about it, which we can come to. Did it answer your your needs? I, I think it was more that I was so deeply worried about how it was going to go that when I realised exactly how Lerman it was going to be, uh, when I realised that he, the Austin Butler Elvis, wasn't going to drop the ball, it was just a relief. And then, you know, it, it everything else flowed from there. But I think I, I approach most musical biopics exactly like that. How are you going to let me down? And then if you don't let me down, it's half the battle won. But do you think that it could have persuaded a non-Elvis fan, a person perhaps even really heard of Elvis, after all, the story that was being told is from like 50, more than 50 years ago, 60 years ago. Could it have persuaded a non-Elvis fan to become an Elvis fan? I feel from these leading questions that you don't think it could. I don't think it could. No, not at all. Mm. I don't think it was aimed at that at all. It never can be. Uh, hey, I didn't introduce any names. I haven't introduced our guest. Hello. Oh, my God. I have no name. What is your name? I have none. I am everything and everyone. I'm so, no. so, I'm so sorry because, I'm, I'm, as I say, I'm literally holding you a grand pint. So I, <laughs> it's a bit different for me. What's your name? Okay, my name's Tony Pietrarjuna. I'm a filmmaker. And I have to say that I'm very honoured to be here because I listen to you guys from time to time. You can count me as one of those so-called dozen uh, per listeners year. per year, you know. <laughs> oh, well, it's, I, I'm, I'm guessing there might be, you know. All I, right. I, I, well, I, I, I can't be alone. Well, that's great. So. <laughs> that's great to hear. We're going to talk about your films later, but no, no uh, I want to ask you then: are you, are you a fan of any particular musician? Have you seen a musical biopic that has worked for you? Yes, I'll give you one answer: The Doors by Oliver Stone, okay. 1991. In, in my mind, it's the greatest musical biopic ever made. You know, because uh, on, on one hand, Val Kilmer as Jim Morrison, it's astounding. 
how he completely brought back that 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 icon to life. It's almost as though you're watching Jim Morrison in person. And Oliver Stone being a great filmmaker at the time, you know, he's a bit of a mixed bag these days, but at the time, you know, he really brought you into the thick of the 60s because he, he lived through it, you know. You know, I didn't actually see that film. So yeah, it really yeah. gave you a con- the sense of the context of the times, did it? Absolutely. Right. I know, think that's a crucial, yeah. crucially important thing. Yes. But I would say, uh, so one of the most, I think it was a dreadful film, but yeah. a very successful film, and it really did the task that it was given, was yeah. the recent Bohemian Rhapsody, the Queen mm-hmm. film. Bo-rap, as its fans <laughs> call it, apparently. Is it? Okay. So I've heard. Right. I, I, mean, I, don't, I don't dislike uh, Queen. They're okay. But what's really important to bear in mind is the purpose of the musical biopic now, which is the surviving members of Queen and Queen Enterprises want to sell mm-hmm. their the past package. They want to keep that alive. And it has worked because they are very high in the Spotify list, considering that band's been dead essentially for 30 odd years. So I think that I think that musical biopics do a few things at once, right? On the one hand, the most cynical thing is the soundtrack album. Everybody wants to to just get back in, to get the back catalogue out there, to you know, to do all these different things. Um, you have to satisfy existing fans of whoever the artist is. And then to your point, Cam, I think hopefully you're trying to bring people in and all while making an emotionally successful movie. And it's a it's actually quite a tall order, I think, but overall. What I think what they tend everyone tends to do in the end is you mentioned Val Kilmer mm. uh, in The Doors yes. and uh, what's-his-name-as-Elvis. Who, who Austin was he? Butler. He was good. He was good, mm, actually. Yeah. And the thing that they did with Bo Rap was the, the PR, the massaging of the PR campaign beforehand is to tell the idea that the performance that Queen put on at the um, Wembley Stadium uh, Live Aid show was the greatest performance of all time, mm. Right. Which is not, but anyway. Mm. <laughs> and the, what's his name, the actor? Who's Rami the, Malik. Rami Malik. That his uh, facsimile of, of, of Freddie Mercury's performance is exceptional. And mm. so you go into the cinema, you're thinking these two things. They've already massaged you into that position. So time after time, it's, it's about the central performance. And we're just holding our breath, hoping he'll get it right, <laughs> and that it'll be great. And yeah, and, and what's his name? Malik was... Um, um, Ari Malik. Rami. <laughs> Rami Malik. I, I, I keep getting his name wrong. He's actually a very fine actor. I do like yeah. him a lot. It's about, it's just whether or not he does a good performance. Yeah, I think that that often tends to be the case. Um, the, the Val Kilmer, Jim Morrison one, I think yeah. is particularly interesting mm-hmm. because I often wonder how much of it comes down to the physical resemblance. Mm. And in the case of, so say you've got your Taron Egerton, Elton John, mm. which... Terrible film. Uh, yeah. Um, fun. Fun enough. No? No, dreadful. Fair enough. Um, So I think there the physical resemblance isn't so great. You you have to make like a greater leap of imagination. But Val Kilmer and Jim Morrison is good casting. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it was absolutely perfect. But I I think, as you said, I think nowadays, to an extent, even in, in the doors itself, it goes beyond the physical resemblance. It's about the embodiment of, you know, the, the spirit and the, uh, the essence of, of the actual real person. Because sometimes you have, you know, okay, this actor physically resembles this historical figure, but it's, it's only on the surface. So it ends up being an impression, an impersonation, yeah. rather than a performance. You know, whereas Val, Val Kilmer, it was, he was literally possessed by Jim Morrison. Yeah. You know, and you see it, you know, it's palpable. It permeates through the screen as you experience it. But, but of course, it clicks more with people who, who are fans of The Doors. 
like myself, especially at that time. Yeah, yeah. Or, or it would be good if it yeah. was a person who wanted to know about the 60s. Exactly. Say. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, actually, that's the question I was going to yeah. ask both of you, whether mm-hmm. musical biopics mm-hmm. to you mm-hmm. are not interesting unless you're a fan of the artist. That's that's the horrifying thing, isn't it? You never can tell. But I think that, what I mean, to answer to that one, it, the, one of the greatest musical biopics, which really answered that question in itself, was Purple Rain, mm. in that not many people have heard of Prince at that time. Mm. Suddenly a movie comes out where there's a guy, <laughs> uh, Prince stars in a movie by Prince, about Prince, Prince. essentially about <laughs> Prince, playing music by Prince, uh, where Prince is a star. <laughs> yeah. And no one's ever heard of him. Yeah. <laughs> and lo and behold, he's a star the next yeah, day. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a great musical. Isn't that an answer to your question? You know, the, yeah. the whole premise that you began the segment with, whether musical biopics can ever be any good? Because that one, though, is contemporaneous in that it came out in 1984. It's set in 1984. Yeah. It's a musical mm-hmm. act who mm-hmm. is of that time. Good point. And so mm-hmm. you, I, I watched it. It's like, this Prince guy's amazing. Yeah. He must be a star. Uh, no one uh, ever heard of him. As opposed to a retrospective kind of biopic. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's happening right there in, yeah. in its contemporary uh, moment in time and and therefore it's an it's it's something that's singular you know it can it's mm. it can hardly recapture that essence again i i live in in hope but also an absolute abject fear of the day when somebody tries to do the david, david bowie. bowie i knew you were <laughs> gonna say that i knew it and didn't, it's going to be tough because how would you possibly yeah. david bowie is such a singular strange person that, exactly and it would yeah. be about the performance yeah but if if i i mean fassbinder did a movie about um no there was a movie about the, the German director Fassbinder, where it was played by a woman uh, as well, opposed to a man. Okay. And if you swap things around. Yeah. But then again, musicians don't really do much. So the story of the musician is really quite boring. So, okay, can I just say, so far we've gone very, very guy. Um, a lot of all the musicians we've been talking about have been men. The, mm-hmm. the biopics yeah. have been Ex- about men. Yeah, excuse our patriarchy. No, no, it's, it's not that so much as um, I just wanted to bring up the fact that Selena from 1997 oh, yes. okay. is a good movie. Okay. Um, and it's a good movie. It it does a few things, you know, filmmaking, myth- mythologically speaking, I suppose it also launched Jennifer Lopez into a certain mm-hmm. era of fame. But it's a good film and it introduced me to the music of Selena, somebody that I hadn't she was been shocked. interested in. Yeah, she was. I mean, so that's a thing. No, but I didn't watch it thinking that. I just watched it thinking this is a good movie. Right. I didn't right. know the yeah. story of Selena. I, I mean, Jennifer Lopez is a fantastic actor. Mm. Uh, okay, uh, well, we've we yeah. got we to gotta leave that. But just okay. quickly nominate one, then this succeeds. So you would say... The Doors. The Doors, 1991. Oliver Stone, Val Kilmer, look it up. It will astound you, I promise. Okay. Um, I'm going with Selena, uh, directed by Gregory Nava. Okay, and I'm going with the Richard Wagner series by Tony Palmer from the 1980s. (laughs) Of course you are. (laughs) Uh, That was brilliant. Uh, Anyway, so we're going to take a quick break, but in a moment we'll be back with... AI, the future of cinema. Here on, what are, are we on? Are we on a bit, a bit of culture? A bit of popcorn culture. A bit of popcorn culture on BFM 89.9. Binge friendly movies. BFM 89.9, The Business Station. And we're back on a bit of popcorn culture here on BFM 89.9. And we continue now. Topic number two, we're going to be asking about the future of cinema and AI. Yes, so this is a topic that has, that has been haunting me ever since it went mainstream uh, in, in the last few months. Um, essentially, when the moment uh, ChatGPT was dropped onto the world, <laughs> and and I happen to be on it as well. Are you guys on it? No, no. no. Okay, you will be eventually. You know, I think yeah. we're, we're all going to join the matrix eventually. But the reason why I got it, got on it is because I realized that okay, uh, if this thing is going to supplant us in any way, 
uh, down the line. Uh, might as well get ahead of the curb and 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 and, and know how it works. Because um, on top of ChatGPT, there's this whole thing about generative AI and how it could potentially change the game for the creative industries and potentially supplant a lot of people in the creative industries as well. Um, it's right now people are saying, oh, it can't do much. It can only generate still images, you know, but within two months, it's already generating uh, moving images already. And and it's the, the scary thing is how um, it's always been postulated, whether it's in science fiction or in science itself, that the moment AI in any capacity, in any form reaches even a basic level of sophistication, its evolution will accelerate um, rapidly. And it, to the point that Every second that we talk, it is evolving to some degree. And already one of the Russo brothers, um, uh, the, direct, the co-directors of the, uh, of the Avengers uh, franchise, postulated that probably within two years, we will have AI-generated Hollywood films already. And this, this brings me to the whole issue of you know, where, where do creators fall into this. And already uh, the Writers Guild of America, they're on strike right now. And now it looks like the SAG, the Screen Actors Guild, are going to join the picket line as well and potentially even the director's line, because on top of the whole issue of residuals, there's this existential threat of AI potentially replacing them. The irony is, you know, by going on strike and crippling the industry in the long run and putting a lot of, work, a lot of people out of work temporarily, they've inadvertently put themselves at risk of being supplanted by, by AI generators already, because already there are reports that the studios basically turned down all their uh, terms and conditions about limiting the use of AI. And the studios are saying, nope, no, you just have to deal with it. So the guild is like, you know, well, you know, the hell with you, you know, we're going to continue striking. So there are already reports that these studios are already turning to AI generators to, to work on public domain scripts so that, you know, by the time these are made, you know, union writers will come, non-union writers, sorry, will come in and, and finesse the, the product. But that's a slippery slope, public domain now. Two years from now, completely original content. And um, I have a friend in, in LA who, who does a lot of script coverage. You know, and he can say, he can, he's already telling us, you know, I really don't know if the writers can win on this one because I've read a lot of uh, Hollywood scripts and the majority of them are baseline me mediocre. So baseline mediocre that even AI could just, uh, hmm. you know, replicate those scripts. And yeah. it's just a matter of getting non-union writers to finesse them. So that's scary. So it starts with writers um, and then eventually, it could, you know, once... I think I think down the line, maybe we won't be completely supplanted, but where directors concerned, like, like myself, we'd be competing with AI-generated content. Yeah, you know, in a few years. I have to say that when you yeah. first brought this up as a topic you wanted yeah. to discuss, yeah. I was thinking about whether or not, as a viewer yeah. of a fair amount of yeah. movies and shows myself, whether yeah. I would be able to tell the difference. Mm. Mm. Maybe initially, yes. We'll right, yeah. uh, but but over time, you mm -hmm. know, and and yeah. there's something yeah. kind of frightening about that. Exactly. Well, let, let let let's imagine that AI gets as good as it can, right? Yeah. We've got yeah. got the point where it's like really, yeah. you know, all the spelling mistakes are taken out yeah. and all that kind of thing, <laughs> and um, it harvests its information mm -hmm. from the work that has been done already. Exactly. It it, it doesn't go it, even if at its best, mm -hmm. it can't go beyond that because yeah. it cannot understand. Yeah. It could not in and of itself, come up with Rosebud, right. uh, you know, Citizen Kane, because it, it does not have feeling in itself. Right. I mean, a writer has... But, exactly. but, it's, but it understands Rosebud, is the thing, because yeah, it, it will have read yeah. it. And well, therefore... No, but it, it understands 
Well, does it understand emotional cues? But does it need to? So I think yeah. the frightening thing here is that for most of us uh, as consumers of, of whatever or mm-hmm. makers of mm-hmm. art, you like to believe that what you're communicating is your yeah. intent, your feelings, yeah. your, your evoking emotions. But maybe as long as the audience feels something or sees something, that will be oh, enough. Okay, but well you would have to then input... <laughs> prompt. In an, in, in prompt, yeah. yeah. In an old movie script, yeah. at this point, uh, sadness. Yeah. Th- uh, three stars, boom, boom, boom. Sadness, emblemized by I'll, a household item. Yeah. I'll, I'll, just see what happens. I'll, I'll give you an example. Uh, I used this on ChatGPT, where I, I, I gave a basic, a basic description of an emotional moment, you know, in, in, in a story beat. It came back with a full prose description, basically emulating what that character would feel at that point. And uh, how was I, it? Convincing? Okay. Not convincing the first time. Here's the scary thing. I regenerated the response. It got better and better with each regeneration. And you were crying by the end, were you? <laughs> Almost. Well, crying that, okay, this thing's going to replace me in five years. That's, me, that's what made me cry. Yeah. <laughs> no. no. So how much, yeah. But how much training did yeah. you have to do of it, right? Because yeah. the, yeah. I mean, it responds quickly, but yeah. on the human side where yeah. you're doing the training and the prompting, how yeah. long did that take you? Not too long because, I, I mean, this particular case, I already had my, my ideas uh, in my mind, so it's just a matter of just you know, laying out the beats as a prompt, and what the the AI did was essentially give you the mechanics of the story based on the beats that you provided. So, so you don't need much training for that. I guess the question down the line is, okay, let's say that directors eventually don't need to direct films anymore, but but they become master prompters, you know, to to create generative uh, content. Okay, so then it would be a matter of the of the prompters being able to know how to tell a story and how to formulate that into the, the, the right prompt. Mm. So, so right now it's like, even if you give fairly vague or general prompts to the AI, it's still able to give you pretty, pretty good content. Not necessarily something you agree with, but there's something to begin with. The, the skill down the line is that you know exactly what to tell it and give you exactly what you want based on those prompts. Yeah, what yeah, about, what yeah, about yeah. comedy? What about humor? Uh, yeah, good point. There, there some, some things that went viral, like there, there was one where an AI actually did an exchange between Joe Rogan and Jordan Peterson. It was funny as heck. But, okay. but, but sorry, but the, the Joe Rogan and Peterson characters were funny. Were we laughing with them or at them? That's uh, it. Um, a, a little bit of both, you know, because the, the exchange itself was very funny, you know. So hmm. uh, uh, basically, basically putting these two characters kind of like making fun of them. Uh, I'll, I'll send you the, the link later, but don't worry. There's no virus in it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's on YouTube, you know. Well, but let's talk about the invention of fire mm-hmm. and the wheel. No, seriously. I mean... Things come along, and Luddites, yeah. such as myself, yeah. at first yeah. want to go smash machinery, yeah. <laughs> uh, but eventually it becomes part of life. Yeah. And I guess it's there'll be human people over there yeah. scribbling away, and then yeah. there'll be the machines, yeah. and yeah. one will they'll complement each other. Yeah. And well, one thing it'll do is this will downsize uh, the workforce, and it will just consolidate people to you know more necessary roles, and the ones that are redundant will be replaced by. <laughs> So, so, you know, no, nice. um, I, I was thinking about it because yeah. I, for the very first time in a long time, am watching mm. this network TV show. Um, it's, I think it's, is it NBC? Was it formerly mm. on NBC? Mm. Anyway, it's always recommended by listeners of Popcorn Culture Manifest. People mm. seem to love it. So, oh, yeah, I heard it. Um, so I thought, okay, I'll give it a go. And it's enjoyable, mm. um, but it is essentially a procedural wrapped up in a science fiction mystery. Mm-hmm. And the curious thing that I'm finding is that after a very long time of not watching network television, Firstly, the ad breaks are strange because you're watching it on streaming and there are no ad breaks, but the music swells and the actors stare and it pauses and it's just something you have to get used to. But the other thing is, increasingly, 
over the seasons, I say the lines before they say them, mm-hmm. increasingly, mm-hmm. because it's just versions of I'm getting too old for this, or mm-hmm. um, you can't do this to my family, or you know, just versions of versions of Hollywoodisms mm-hmm. that yeah. you've seen over time. Yeah. And I was thinking that show, despite liking it, mm-hmm. is something that could very easily be show run and written yeah. by AI. Yeah. yeah, but that show was also uh, mm-hmm. taken from a French. Uh, series that came out before. Which again feeds into this notion yeah. of yeah. AI just but the French one was, The yeah. French one was very good though because yeah. it was it was um, it was about France. Yeah. And I I mean I guess I don't know AI I suppose can have a f- sense of nation and um, I think so. Zeitgeist. Mm. And, not not yeah. now. Not now. <laughs> but the the thing is, you know, just just um, chiming on that is the thing is, okay, fine. A lot of it is regurg re- re- how do you pronounce this word? Regurgitated. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> you know everything that's been already um, established mm. by human hands and human voices uh, online, you know, but nonetheless, it's learning from the human field, mm. you know. So it's just a question of time before it can even embody things like nationhood or identity, yeah. uh, even if it's just um, uh, a copy of it. Right. You know? Okay, well, in the meantime, we wait for... Um we wait for the slow march of technology, yeah. the fast march, the, the fast yeah. run, sprint. Yeah, and, and also we wait for Schwarzenegger to come back looking for Sarah Connor and something like that. I think. Are you Sarah Connor? <laughs> okay, well, we take, we take another break after that happy story. Thank you so much. And, uh, and we're going to be looking at nostalgia. Good. Yay. Here on a bit of popcorn culture on BFM 89.9. But films, man. BFM 89.9. The business station, and we're back on this um, this particular special edition of uh, Popcorn Culture, which is also augmented virtual reality wise, <laughs> no actual reality wise, with a bit of culture. So, uh, topic number three, we come to, and Lynn, nostalgia, nostalgia, but very specifically generational nostalgia hype, because this is something I think about a lot. Uh, it's something I've been thinking about because of The Flash, which is currently in cinemas, not the best movie ever made, but um, featuring what people may argue is the best Batman, because Michael Keaton has returned from his role that he originated in 1989, returning to the big screen as Batman. And as I was watching him in this mediocre film, (laughs) I I found myself so ecstatic. I was so happy, even though I knew the movie wasn't deserving of him, even though I knew that, you know, none of this means anything. I just was grinning from ear to ear. In the review that Arvin and I um, did, we were talking about this exact feeling of wanting to, you know, fist pump. And I was watching it and thinking... Is it possible to view this? Like, how how do you view this if you have no attachment whatsoever mm. to Michael Keaton, firstly, as Batman? Me, so me, I, me, I, me, I knew, me, I knew. Me. I, I, I'm bringing this on a dish for you guys. Okay. So, um, I, so firstly that, what happens to mm. people who just have nothing, you know, who, mm. who don't feel that, that swell of joy? Um, can that be replicated? Mm. So then I was thinking... On from that, um, how do people of different generations talk to each other about the movies that they feel nostalgia hype over? Because I think it's a very specific feeling. Some movies you feel are so great, so good, that you're so attached to the performances. And yet it's so dependent on you having watched it as an 11-year-old. Mm. It's not necessarily so dependent, though. So I don't know. I, I feel there are things that I've watched that have been recommended by people older than me. I can tell intellectually that this is good. I I understand it. It's never going to replace the things that 
I thought of as great from my time. You know, I, I just think it's hard but, to supplant. But, but, but have there been occasions where it has succeeded? There have been occasions, which we can talk about. But mm. I think, I don't know, I just find the whole kind of back and forth on this notion of hype based on generation-based yeah. nostalgia yeah. versus recency. Like, it's, it's an yeah. interesting push it, and pull. It's, um, it's, some, it's a pain I feel. <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah all right. yeah but you're a filmmaker yourself so yeah, yeah well, I, I, but i mean you must as a filmmaker you yeah. must get rid of that sense you don't want to be in the uh not necessarily because it's it's i made it my my thing right. uh nostalgia because a, a lot of what i'm influenced by is what i grew up with so here's a quick plug we're talking about my, my previous film shadow play okay so for, for example that was my my way of of embracing my, my nostalgia because the, the whole film is basically uh, it's a tribute to eighties uh, genres like neo noir you know eighties horror there's a lot of synth wave you know synthesizer music in it you know bringing back uh, the sounds of Tangerine and dream in there things I grew up with and I've decided okay so that was my my my, my feature debut uh, and I decided okay this is my voice so everything I do from here on you know I want to channel some form of of my nostalgia into it, even if it's not too obvious. You know, like for example, Persepsy, it doesn't go into any kind of a nostalgic realm, but I was heavily influenced by Brian De Palma, for example, you know, films I grew up with, Yeah. you know. But uh, having said that, I think a lot of it has to do with how, it, it converges with how social media is, you know, affecting everybody else. It's, it's, it's a drug, it's dopamine, yeah. you know, it, it, it affects you. And I've been, I've been addicted to this drug Ever since I, ever yeah, since I you, turned forty, yeah. But you put in a, a nostalgia moment to a young audience member. It is, it's just, it, it could be at, at worst, boring or embarrassing, yeah, or just meaningless. I mean, it's a danger. You're putting your, mm-hmm. yeah. Why, why put yourself through that? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I know because it, it, it seems that people seem to be responding to it, you know, and a lot of it has to do with how you kind of like bridge generations. And Stranger Things did a great job at doing that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it's a Generation X filmmakers, you know, you know, our gen. I'm, I'm assuming. Okay. Uh, reaching out to their Gen Z well, children. Well, but stra- know, Stranger yeah. Things yeah. needed to find an yeah. environment yeah. whereby children could go out yeah. on their own yeah. and do something, yeah. and then trouble happens. Yeah. In today's world, they couldn't. Correct. They could never find themselves in that trouble because yeah. they're staying at home all the time and looking at their uh, phones. So yeah. at the risk of getting yelled at, um, yeah. and this is something that that's well documented on yeah. popcorn culture so i hate the 80s mm. I, what's I, that mean i have the 80s? I, I don't enjoy <laughs> filmic explorations of it um it, it's or rather i've come to enjoy it more over time but for a very long period i would watch <coughs> things from the 80s and think <coughs> What the heck? Like, what is everybody going on about? Why does everyone look like this? Why does it sound this way? Why is everything so grimy? What's with the bikes? You know, I just, for a very long time, the, the, you're talking about that way. films that were made much later than the 80s, but set in the 80s? Or, Both. Or, or, or Both. So, um, so I've never understood E.T., so John Hughes, you've never watched. I've, I've seen. I'm, John. Oh my God! Sorry, I'm suddenly I'm looking at you as like. What? I, I, actually, you're not looking at me, Cam. You're unable to look at me. Zoomer, zoomer. <laughs> no, so I'm not a zoomer. That's the thing. I I'm just okay. after that period, and I was watching. Um, but I remember <clears throat> feeling I don't understand what the enjoyment is yeah. of this. Okay, I, I I absolutely get what you're saying, and you're you're right. I mean, the people who did that then they're they're depending too much on cues, on just um, shorthand cues that seem to work for people and thinking... A little bit, yeah. yeah so I've seen work. John Hughes. I, I get the emotional beats, yeah, but, but don't get the... but it's too late he- now to... A little bit, yes. But I would say that when I was younger, if I can put, put myself back in the mind of a young person, the filmmakers then, 
their youth had been in the 1950s. Mm. So there were a number of movies about the 1950s, which left me cold because I had no interest in... There was the, the, the George Lucas film... Uh, American Graffiti. American Graffiti, yeah. which had one of the biggest soundtracks sellers of all time. I watched the movie and it's like, mm, I don't yeah. care. But the movie Grease came out. It was a huge hit and I loved it. And it was set in the 50s, but the 50s-ness kind of like wasn't really... It didn't really... It, it didn't rely on it for me. It was just a fun thing. Mm. It was a fun show mm-hmm. with, you know, great singing and dancing. And when they were doing, like, Go Grease Lightning, I had no clue what the hell that's about. <laughs> but it was fun. Yeah. So, you know, if you can just have it as a successful, fun, emotional vehicle in and of itself and not rely on the cues then it could work. So I love Grease as well, but I saw it as an 80s version of what the 50s would have looked like. But it was made by people who had been there in the 50s. Yes, Mm. yes. No, that's fair. I also think that one I just watched free of any era. Um, And that's, musicals are a different thing. I think musicals fall into a different category here. Musicals tend to work through generations better for some reason. Well, you said, you said Brian De Palma and and I remember watching Carlito's Way. Yes, Um, I love that film. It was a great film. It it came out, what, in in 93? 30 years ago. Set in the 70s. Yes. And, Mm. and, and I was, what, 10 years old in Mm -hmm. the 70s. Yeah. But, and I I was not from, yeah. Brooklyn or whatever. Yeah. And, but I remember watching it, and as soon as it started, I thought, why isn't every movie set in the, the 70s? 70s. <laughs> uh, you're, you're right. It's exactly right. Because particularly in the 90s, there was a lot of 70s nostalgia. Yeah. The 70s was so cool, thanks to films like Carlitos Way, and especially thanks to Tarantino. Yeah. Uh, he, he really brought, brought that to the forefront. And, and for some reason, you know, the 70s became a Generation X statement as well. You know, even though Gen X were mostly uh, kids at the time and their diapers uh, for well, the most part. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, Lynn, you're the one who raised this topic. Yeah. And, yeah. and so, therefore, you would like to be able to, because you're coming to that age now, mm-hmm. where, <laughs> you know, the young people who are once kind of just running around and having fun, they're now actually full, fully sentient beings and they're, they, they're doing jobs that perform, they perform jobs. You would like to impart your wisdom and belief systems upon them. I don't. You don't? I don't. So that's part of why I wanted to talk about it, actually. I was curious to know um, how often you both have tried to recommend things to younger people that that were deeply important to you and how that's gone. Because I haven't actually attempted that yet. I I haven't gone to, you know, somebody in their early 20s or something and gone, hello, young one, I hear you like film, (laughs) you know, have you tried? Yeah, I know. And I I haven't done it. You haven't done it? No, because I, I, I had a bad experience once. Uh, <laughs> no, I went to a college and they asked me to, to show a film. It was Battleship Potemkin, the silent movie from the 1920s about Sergei Eisenstein's brilliant film. Anyway, and the, the kids there were, and they were kids, they were like, what, 18 years old or something? And I gave it to them completely context-free. I just said, this film is a great film. It's considered one of the best. Watch this. And they were bored out of their skulls. <laughs> and I was thinking, because it's set during the Russian Revolution. I know the story of the Russian Revolution like back of my hand. I could have told them the whole context. I didn't. And, and, and I saw them going off for a pee and a smoke. And it's like, oh, God, they're so bored. And I was really embarrassed for Sergei Eisenstein as much as anyone else. <laughs> uh, so ever since then, I've not tried to impose it upon anybody, but what I will do is just simply talk about the context of the time mm-hmm. and talk around it. So you don't do the, I think this is one of the greatest movies oh, of I'll all time. I'll say that, yeah, but yeah. I don't mm. expect them 
to go watch it. Uh, they need to have the entire contextual package mm-hmm. in order to be able to approach it at all. It basically boils down, what I've discovered is, you're right, you, you don't try to impose it, but you, you put it out there. Those who are receptive will, will, will discover for themselves. And you'd be surprised because especially young creative people, they're very open-minded to new experiences. And whether it's old or new, if it's something that they've never experienced before, they'll explore it. That's what happened with, to me as well, you know. I think one of the great, one of the best things my parents did to me was they made me watch old films, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, Ray Harryhausen, mm-hmm. start when I was three years old. And at that age, you're not prejudiced against anything on basis of age because you couldn't tell the difference yet. So, but once you're able to recognize, you know, this is older, this is newer, it's like um, those barriers have, have been shattered and you just judge everything based on how enjoyable it is or how transcending it is to some degree. And, uh, but, yeah. but also you were experiencing mm-hmm. the, the love and comfort of the family environment. That helps. Yeah. I think so. It was, a, it was a fun thing that we do together. Exactly. I think that's the key. So yeah. when I think about why I or how I've encountered things that were great but from different generations, I think a lot of it had to do with hearing of moments and wanting to experience those moments for myself and yeah. finding them either living up to it or not. So um, just... I don't know why I'm going so Coppola heavy, but I was thinking of both Godfather and Apocalypse Now and how in both those movies, I see, I knew what I wanted to do. I, I, I didn't necessarily want the Brando in both, but I knew I wanted the, the, the scenes with the, with the choppers, with yeah. the napalm, with the all of it. With Godfather, I already knew the you come to me. You know, I, I knew the opening and I, I didn't know how it was going to feel watching it. And, Watching it, so it's different, right? In some cases, you feel let down because everybody's told you, this is great, this is great, this is great. You watch it and you think, oh, this is kind of pedestrian. Um, in other instances, you watch it and it's burnished from the fact that so many people have told you so many times over the years that you've heard it said, you know, as a great line, the frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. You know, all these things you get told over and over again. They're great, they're great, they're famous. And when you watch it, um, sometimes it's hard to separate the moment of you watching it from you having been told for so long mm. that this is a great moment. And it's just an interesting thing. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Mm. So what, what has succeeded and what has failed? Oh, uh, well, E.T. E- I really don't get. I find... That's too bad. <laughs> I find E.T. creepy. I, I, can, I just can't yeah, move past enough. it. Um, but... The Godfather I loved when I first watched it. Um, Singing in the Rain is one of my all-time favorite movies. Like there are lots of things that are very far from my generation that have worked. And these would be things you you wouldn't say that you found for yourself. I mean, it was like people kept saying for years and years. Uh, So when I say people, I mean, I'm a half digital native. I grew up in the early part of my childhood without internet, but in my teenage years with. So when I say people, I mean, I probably mean internet people because my parents mm. liked movies, but they weren't people who would... Yeah, they're not people. Quote, okay, all right, <laughs> all right. Um, but they weren't necessarily people who would quote movies or, or you know, push them upon me. So it, it's, it's over time. Any movies that have been... Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Push down your neck. Push down my neck? Yeah, I mean, uh, people, people get saying, oh, you must go watch this. No, not really. It's like, you know, if, uh, I'm usually the one doing that <laughs> in reverse. Yeah. But, but one thing I tell you, on, on, on if, if, if we were to bring up a film which seems to resonate with, with all generations, we mentioned Brian De Palma earlier, okay? Funny enough, Scarface. Okay. Uh, his, Brian De Palma's Brian Scarface. De Palma's Scarface, okay? Yeah. I wear my Scarface T-shirt, you uh. know? Every kid, high school kid, who sees me with that T-shirt, is like, "Hey, Scarface, cool man." Yeah. I'm talking about Gen Z over here, okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So somehow that that seems to transcend time. 
which completely surprises me mm. in, in the way that I think dur- during our time, the Clockwork Orange, which was made before we were born, somehow resonated with a, with a lot of us, you mm. know. So it, it seems to be that that cycle is repeating with a film like Scarface. You know, they're even quoting it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I go to the gym, you know, this, this 17-year-old kid tells me, oh, Scarface, man. say hello to my little friend, you know, and all that. I can't really think of any, I think I mentioned just, just the other day, actually, on a, a bit of culture, so I'll, I'll do it one more time, was uh, Kurosawa's Seven Samurai. And uh, people had always, it was always like, you know, one of the great movies of all time. Yeah. So I finally watched it, but I was like 13 or something. Yeah. And I watched it in a very uncomfortable cinema. And I thought, this is, this is terrible. It's terrible. It's the worst film I've ever seen. What's all the hype about? And then I watched it again three years later. And it was like, this is the greatest movie of all time. I had the same reaction to Blade Runner. First time I saw it, I was like, oh, what's the hype all about, man? This is the most boring crap I've ever seen. Five years later... Same reaction. This is profound. It's changing my life. I mm. watched Blade yeah. Runner when I was a little yeah. older, so I yeah. think that helped. Yep, yeah. mm. that helped. But I think that's the core right there. It's age. Yeah. Well, it has to, the, the, the moment you mature... has to hit you at the right time. Yeah, it has to hit you at the right okay, time. Okay, so at what age am I going to like Breathless? Can anyone answer that? Because <laughs> we're, we're, I do we're, not we're, like Breathless. Okay, Richard Gere. That's taste. No, the, the Godard. The Godard. Mm. You're never going to like it. It's terrible. Thank you. <laughs> no, because... <laughs> the end. <laughs> no, I, I tried. I came to it. This is the people. This is the people present. Yeah, no, but the thing with Abu Dasuf... As as we say, as we say, <laughs> as we say, yeah. is it's it's a it's about the the times, yeah. it's about the filmmaking techniques yeah. and how revolutionary they were at, at the, the time. time. Yes, yeah. I understand that, I, and, and I could appreciate that, but I was also thinking this is insufferable. Yeah, mm. no, it's it's an artifact. Yeah, and, and I'm going to commit a sin there. I actually prefer the Richard Gere version. <laughs> so people say I haven't seen it. Yeah, yeah, that, I mean that's. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, uh, it's, it's very eighties. Yeah, that was Paul Schrader, wasn't it? Paul um, no, it was um, uh, Jim McBride who did the Big Easy as well. All right, okay. but close. You know, it was yeah. Schrader esque. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, we must move on. Okay. And we move on to the final part of the show: recommendations. Yeah. We recommend something yeah. that we think might be of interest. I go first. So, okay. um, so my topic was musical biopics, and I mentioned uh, the, the Richard Wagner biopics. But actually, the best biopic I've seen, and which I'd like to recommend, is fairly recent one about uh, James Brown called Get, Get Up. On. Get On Up. Get On Up, sorry. Mm. And it's it was starred Chadwick Boseman, the late Chadwick Boseman, who, a really great performance. It was not an impersonation. It, it, didn't, it didn't even necessarily have to look or sound anything like James Brown because the characterization was so good. But also what the film did was it, it looked at uh, the music industry, it looked at... The, the business of it, and it looked at the the creative process of... I mean, James Brown's a remarkable. He's one of my favourites. Yep. Absolute genius. And it was also produced by um, Mick Jagger, so who knows a thing or two about music, so yep. I think that really came through. I think it's the best one I've seen, actually. Anyone seen it? Yes, I loved it. Um, I wanted to ask you, though, uh, with Get On Up, because you've talked about it before, mm. whether you think it is a good film outside of Chadwick Boseman's central performance. I, I know I, you've said a number of things that are good about it, mm. but would it hang together without him? Absolutely. Mm. I, I think one of the worst ones I've seen is Ray, where Jamie Foxx is Ray Charles. Mm-hmm. And so, so much of the hype was about, oh, my God, he's just like Ray Charles. And so you're just sort of locked into that and that alone. And you're overwhelmed by the performance-ness. But with the Chadwick Boseman one, it's a great performance. But it's, it's about the whole package of the movie. So he does a great, it's great. So I checked that one out. Get on up. 
Get on up. And uh, what's your recommendation? Okay, uh, since the subject was AI, funny enough, I'm not going to recommend a film because we've all seen the films. I'm going to recommend a, a story, a short story by Isaac Asimov oh. uh, called The Last Question. And I think somebody here on BFM actually discussed it at one point. I remember listening to it, but I forgot what the topic was. But it, it will send you chills because it's so relevant now, you know, because Asimov was a prophet. It's a story about a supercomputer called Multivac, which is essentially an advanced version of ChatGPT. So right now we got ChatGPT. I'm like, oh my God, this is the prototype for Multivac, essentially. Because what Multivac does is it answers every question and solves every problem that the average human could not, to the point that it actually guides humanity to the stars and ultimately becomes the last existing thing in the universe. And the, the question that humanity has always postulated was, um, how do we prevent the heat death of the universe? Because they want, they want humanity wants to extend their, their lifespan beyond the, uh, the end of the universe. So Multivac couldn't answer this question. So should I give away the, the ending? No, 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 no. Okay, all right. Okay, so, so that's, that's the question. But the, the, the answer will basically, it, it goes into theological realms. Okay, that's all I'll say. Asimov but, wrote in yeah, the forties, yeah, yeah. didn't he? Yes, I, I believe so. Yeah, yeah. 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 So yeah. And he yeah. was he yeah. was quite quite yeah. ahead of his time. He's a bit uncanny, actually, yeah. Yeah. Asimov. Yeah. yeah. Uh, um, okay, okay. By the way, well, as you were talking about that, there's this massive thunderstorm behind you, <laughs> oh and my it was God. like, and it was like, it's like he's he's telling us about the end of time, it's, and it's happening now. It did I feel like. <laughs> I was wondering, Ham, whether you felt comforted after your whole, you know, the invention of fire and then thunder. <laughs> like, I know, yeah. There's your answer. I know, and I was just joking, but it's not great. Okay, so uh, that's Asimov. Okay. And sorry, the story again? Uh, the last question. The last, qu- <laughs> last question. And we have one last last question, actually. Uh, Lynn, what's your recommendation? Okay, uh, I've got two, uh, two minis. So one is actually... Just, I feel like not enough people go to cinemas alone. I've been going to watch movies alone recently, and I find myself often very curious about my fellow solo moviegoers because we're just so free, you guys. We, we are unfettered. We get to put our bag or whatever on yeah. the seat next to us. We get our own snacks. We get, I, I don't know. I, I've just been quite enjoying the, the solo cinema experience and I wanted to recommend it as a mini thing. Do we go to cinemas alone in here? I agree 200%. I've been doing that too. Yeah, I haven't done it for a very long time. But you're talking about like the first showing of the day, early early on your own? See, the beauty is when you go alone, you get to choose. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so, you know, I've just been I, I've been enjoying the freedom. I mean, yeah. I love going to movies with other people. I'm not going to stop doing that, but I just feel more of us should be open to watching yeah. solo. Yeah, mm. I agree. Yeah, or doing anything like okay. that. Okay. <laughs> And eating lunch on your own. And seriously, I yeah. think it's, it's great. Yeah. I started doing that out of pandemic fears. This was like 2021, <coughs> 2022, but it became a habit. You know, and it's, mm. it's, it's liber- you're right, it's liberating. And it just feels so, it's like being at home, you know, but you're in a cinema. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm being to the yeah. cinema yeah. for, I can't remember. So if you, if you pick the right cinema, yeah. if you pick the right seat, you get that exact experience yeah. Tony's talking yeah. about, where yeah. you're like, oh. Yeah. I'm not alone because in you know being completely alone in a giant dark room might be a little bit freaky, but you know I'm not entirely alone. But I get the communal feeling while also being ah I'm in control of my day, my time. This is lovely. So yeah, one small recommendation. The other one being Slow Horses on Apple TV. This is actually because you mentioned Mick Jagger and Mick Jagger did the theme song for Slow Horses. Oh, he did. Um, A very good theme song. Yeah, it is a good theme song. Very suitable for the show. So for people who are unfamiliar with Slow Horses, it has a pretty marvelous. Gary Oldman performance and it is about 
the fringes of espionage because it's essentially unsuccessful spies trying to find their way back to the mainstream and getting caught up in you know larger conspiracies, which makes it sound more exciting than it is. It's actually thoroughly, it feels thoroughly British in that kind of slow burn way. I really enjoy it. The cinematography is great. The performances are great. Chris Scott Thomas is great. Yeah. Um, so I hear people talking about it from time to time, but not as many as there should be for such a good show. So yeah. I, I saw the first season. There is a new season. Is there there is season two, yes. Yeah. Mm. Uh, oh, check it out. That's really good. I enjoyed yeah. it. Did, did you watch uh, Slow Horses? Not yet, but it's, I will now. It's, really it's good. good. It's yeah, good. It's yeah. really good. It's not that. It's about six episodes. Yeah, it's very much. British. It's yeah. British in That's every which way. the way it should be. <laughs> yeah. Just you, you stick your landing and yeah. leave it there. You know? Okay, well then, we're going to wrap up now. And I'll hand it over to Lim. But before we do, I want to ask yes. if you have any projects coming up that oh, yes. you'd like us to know about. Oh, thanks for asking. Yeah, um, so there's a series which I, which I directed for Scope Productions. It's coming out. It's a, it's a Gumpak original. And it's coming out on Astro Ria on June 29th. And eight episodes uh, following that. And it'll be streaming on Suka as well. So I'll just, uh, I'll just ask the viewers, you know, give local content a chance because it is evolving. It is getting better. And we're trying, we're trying out something new over here. Genre? Psychological thriller. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, one location? One primary location. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. Out of KO. Oh, okay. Oh, the location, Janda Bai, uh, okay. essentially. But essentially, you know, um, some BFFs go on a little vacation in a resort, in a remote resort, and... F- Strange things happen. That's all I'll say. Strange okay. psychological thriller things. Yes, exactly. exactly. <laughs> okay. So these are eight one hours. Eight one hours. Right. Okay, for eight weeks on on Rio, and then eventually it'll 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 roll out onto Suka, the streaming platform. Cool. Oh, so okay. and the name again? Uh, per, oh, sorry. Yeah, Percepsi. Check it out. So I'm gonna hand over now the reins to uh, Lynn, who will. Cam's putting down the gun. We're free. We're free to go. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, so. All right. Actually, that's it from us. Again, this has been a special little crossover episode between a bit of culture and popcorn culture. Cam, thank you for popping by and for sharing your show. Uh, thank you. And I'm, I do apologize if I frightened you with, <laughs> but there were no bullets. So. You didn't make that clear. Um, Tony, thank yes. you so much for coming by. Thank you for having me. It was, it was a pleasure and an honor. So that is it from us. We've been talking today about AI. We've talked about musical biopics and nostalgia. If you want to weigh in, you can, of course, write to us at movies at bfm.my. And you've been listening to Popcorn Culture, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.